listening to Talking Law, the podcast where business owners just like you discover how to avoid legal landmines and build value using smart legal tips. Join your host, Joanna Oki, as she cuts through the legal jargon and gives you clear and simple actionable legal strategies, which will get you optimal business results. Wonderful, Paula. So exciting to have you on Talking Law. Again, a serial guest. We love having you on the podcast, Paula. Thank you, Joanna. Delighted to be here today. <laughs> Great. Okay, wonderful. Now, look, I um, I just think this is such an important topic that we're talking about today. I love talking about the tips and traps um, in business sales and acquisitions. And your case study from today is an absolute beauty. I just am so excited to dig into it. So maybe um, it, let's, I, I guess, stepping back, um, we're talking about heads of agreements today. So heads agreements or and I find what's interesting Paula is there is actually so many different names that are given to this document so you can call it a memorandum of understanding a commercial term sheet um, a, you know non-binding indicative offer which might accidentally be actually binding ultimately whatever you call these documents they're a document that contains the commercial terms between the parties and generally have a component of binding and non-binding elements for the parties in relation to setting out the deal terms and then that is a prelude to the parties then entering into um, entering into that formal agreement of the business sale agreement, the share sale agreement later on down the track. So tell me, Paula, after we've given a bit of an intro into what a heads of agreement is, Tell me the issue that occurred this day that um, you found so fascinating with this particular heads of agreement in a business sale. Uh, Joanna, you know, heads of agreement, as you say, they can be called anything. And I always liken them to something between that sort of verbal and the handshake thing you do to sell your business to the very detailed binding contract for sale. But what I've seen quite a lot of is individuals who are selling their businesses getting heads of agreements off the internet or getting them done by people who are not lawyers. So what happens is the details that start to go into these heads of agreement actually end up being what you would have in a sale and purchase agreement. Mm. So instead of just having those binding terms of regarding confidentiality, exclusivity and indicative term terms of the deal, you end up, they start to trash out all the details you would in a sale and purchase agreement. So they end up with an almost a binding contract of sale. Now, you're the lawyer, so you'll know all about that. But from my tax perspective, why do I even care? Well, I care a lot because when you're making a disposal or selling your business for capital gains tax purposes, the taxing point is all about when you enter into that binding contract for sale. Mm. So you may think you're entering into heads of agreement and thinking, well, that's great. I'm doing that on the 28th of June. And then in July, following tax year, I'm going to trigger my sale. But in fact, your heads of agreement is so detailed that uh, that actually is a binding contract of sale for tax purposes. So you can end up triggering your disposal earlier. Now, if you're someone who's just brought your tax forward a year, that's not so bad. But what if you're somebody who's relying on a small business CGT concession 
and you know your 15 years is going to be up on the 5th of July. So you decide you're not going to sell till after the 5th. But somebody has helpfully put together a really detailed heads of agreement and triggered your tax point early. So instead of yourself being exempt from tax, you end up with the tax charge on it. So that's why I care about it. And that's why I'm just so passionate at looking at these documents. Do you know what? I mean, it's just such a fascinating, it's such a fascinating example of an issue that can pop up, that can be created by overzealous planning perhaps or an overzealous approach to wanting to make sure the deal is just so clear between the parties that you've actually created this issue into the future. And, And I guess the tax, there's the tax issue. And I want to come back to that in a moment because I, I think that's such a um, critical point that many people may just not even think about. But we also this binding versus non-binding nature, I think, is critically important as well because some of the reasons that might drive um, the this term sheet to be really detailed um, and to try to get the parties bound is because, you know, there's this competing tension between both of the parties in relation to not wanting to waste time, muck around with someone that not is not going to complete the transaction, not wanting to get exposed to excessive legal costs. And, and this works both sides, you know, and not wanting to lose the opportunity of the transaction once you've started to get knee deep into it. And, and as I said, this can both be a buy side pressure and a sell side pressure. And, and this is what I see sometimes drives this, um, this move towards wanting to get super detailed in the term sheet. Um, and whilst it can be very sensible to have detail in the term sheet in terms of clarifying the understanding of both parties in order to help you to move to the next stage to to then ensure that you've locked down the number of um, areas of negotiation, you, you know, because you've, you know, the, the concept being you're clear on the um, high-level commercial terms. The risk is that the further we get into the transaction, there, there may be this requirement in any event to re um, re look at some the way that some of those commercial terms work, um, and when you it, it, there's this whole body of law around um, whether or not an agreement to agree is enforceable, and you know I've seen this play out a few times, and it's a really unpleasant space when you've got one person who believes they have. An, uh, an enforceable contract and another party that doesn't, um, you know, and they're then at war working out, you know, what bits of it are indeed enforceable. But, you know, so so from my perspective, from the legal perspective, I think that's the issue. If we're getting more detailed than just a couple of pages in our commercial terms documents where we're setting out the, you know, the price and the payment terms and, the and you know, um, the exclusivity period um, and, due diligence and a bit of a timetable maybe and confidentiality. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, and they're the key terms you'd expect to see in there. And when the parties get knee-deep into negotiating on the heads of agreement, what you find is because that takes so long, they almost do get into the full sales process. Except, So they forget to see the heads of agreement for what it actually is. It is really just that term sheet setting out the key terms around the offer, you know, whether it's an acquisition of shares, whether it's an acquisition of the assets, 
the price, as you say. Um, any major adjustments on that price? There's always going to be smaller ones which come out in the sale and purchase agreement. But any big adjustments maybe in relation to employee leave entitlements or if there are any assets which have to be transferred from something else or maybe if there's big contracts, what's going to happen in the interim period? But it's just, you know, seeing taxpayers who spend so long building up this business and not being able to avail of a concession that they should rightly be entitled to, then um, I just find that very hard. So, you know, I always say to people selling a business, please just speak to someone early because if you get your team on side from day one, your team can actually guide you in the right direction. They can take you through this process because if not, you can find yourself in a very lonely process where the person who's buying your business, they're much bigger than you. They've got a really slick team and they're just firing these documents at you and you don't want to be a burden. So you're just working through with them without actually taking your own advice. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and let's uh, sort of stick in stepping back and driving into where that potential tax issue can come from. Can you talk to us a little bit about what is it that are things that um, could be at risk if they end up in a um, in, in a heads of agreement document, that old commercial term sheet, whatever we're talking calling it, um, what are the risk areas that could lead to it from a tax perspective um, being seen as being you know, a contract formed at that earlier date rather than a later date that the parties may have actually intended. And and maybe also within that, if you can explain to us the difference, the high level difference in a taxing position between, you know, that whole entering into a contract versus the business passing over as well. Yeah. So, so Joanna, the key risk is down to timing. So if the contract's entered into earlier than you otherwise think, then you trigger the tax point earlier. Now, if you enter into the heads of agreement in May and then you do your sales contract in June, that may not be an issue for you because it's all in the same tax year. But if you're trying to make sure that your disposal of the business happens in a later tax year and you have such a detailed heads of agreement that you trigger your tax point before the end of the financial year, then you'll bring forward all the payment of the tax on that transaction. So that's a big risk is the cost of money. But the bigger risk is where you're working to, towards those concessions and you know that you have to say hit the 15-year period and you've worked out to a very fine line when that 15 years is because you're really close to it. And then you inadvertently trigger the tax point earlier. Then you're in a position where You've triggered it early and you don't get your CGT concession, which means the gain you thought was disregarded and you were paying zero on. Then you're in a position that you have got a tax charge on that. And the other things that can trip you up if you do end up making it into a binding contract is in relation to just how that sales price is split. So the person buying the business, they make an offer to acquire the whole business. And there's typically a price on that. Now, if I'm acting for the person disposing of the business, I want to make sure that in as far as possible, the amount they're getting is in relation to the goodwill that's in that business or in in relation to a capital asset if it's not the sale of shares. Because that way I know, well, I'm going to get my 50% CGT discount. I'm probably going to get my small business CGT concessions. And that's going to be really tax efficient for me. But if the heads of agreement have already divided up the sales proceeds and have allocated, say, a million dollars to equipment, well, equipment's not a capital asset. 
equipment works under the depreciation rules. And most of the people selling businesses have already depreciated their assets down to zero for tax purposes. So that whole one million is a taxable profit. It's a successful profit in the year it's triggered. You don't get any CGT concessions. So, you know, going into that level of detail in the heads of agreement can have drastic tax consequences. I was looking at one a few weeks ago where the transaction had already happened and I was being asked for my opinion as to how this should be disclosed. And when I looked at it, they had the original thing was the transaction has happened in the 21-22 financial year. When I looked at it, the transaction had actually happened in the previous financial year and hadn't been on the lodged return because they had this detailed heads of agreement. Now, there are lots of things you can do, you know, to you go down the route of trying to, I suppose, disprove that it's a binding contract. But I'm seeing such big heads of agreements. Some of them are bigger than sale agreements. And it's wow. scary because the terms and everything, they're going into such detail on everything that you think, wow, this is like the real final stages of nearly negotiating that sale and purchase agreement. So they've gone down to that level of detail. So I suppose the message is, is keep it at a high level, isn't it? Mm. Capture the key terms of the deal. And as you say, lock in the, you know, the binding terms are going to be the confidentiality, exclusivity. They're the two things you really want to lock in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I guess if we step back also and say, well, what's the reason that we are ending up with this high-level detail in the term sheet? And one of the things I alluded to, and I really want to hear your thoughts, Paula, from a, an accounting perspective, why it might be that it might be seen that this is a good idea to enter into this detail. Um, but, you, you know, I can see from a risk perspective, it, as I discussed earlier, both from the buy side and the sell side, there, there's always this um, there's this sort of weighing between wanting to um, get the commitment of the deal um, and protect against your own expense and, and exposure in the deal. And I just, from a legal perspective, there's so many other ways that you can achieve that rather than a really long and detailed term sheet. Um, and, and there's lots of ways to achieve it, but one of which is you can you can actually enter into a sale contract, but which has conditions precedent that mean you have certain elements that need to be ticked off before the agreement is itself. Binding, and you know that can, in many instances, be a far superior approach to entering into a long and detailed term sheet, um, pro- which precedes, you know, the sale agreement. Just entering into the sale agreement itself, but giving um, outs that work in in various occasions. So, from my perspective, from a legal perspective, that's sort of the the reason. Quite often, I see it and um, the, the alternative sort of approach to deal with it. From your perspective, Paula, what are, what are some of the accounting reasons that you might see driving a desire to have such detail in, in heads of agreement? Uh, Joanna, I think it all comes down to the emotion behind buying and selling businesses because once people have emotionally committed to either buying or selling that business, they want to make sure that nothing goes wrong. Yeah. So they want certainty. And the way they think to get that certainty is to outline it all into their heads of agreement. And this is where, you know, when you're selling or buying a business, you really need some your team in between because your team, they do care about you deeply, 
but they haven't got that same emotional involvement. Yeah. Because it can be quite stressful selling a business and something you've built up over the years. And then you want to make sure that there's no price chipping. And we've talked previously about this price chipping. So, Mm. you know, someone offers you five million for your business. And by the time you get to the end of your contract, that price has gone down because they've chipped away at it because they said, oh, well, you've got more employees and more leave than we thought, or your assets are older than we thought, or your contracts aren't as long as we thought they would be. And there's all these kind of price chipping that goes on. So I suppose one of the reasons why people go into detailed heads of agreement is to avoid the price chipping exercise. And that's the difficulty because you can go into a binding heads of agreement if that's what you want. And that's when you want to trigger your tax point. But I think it's more have caution and be aware of what's happening and just don't assume because it's a head of heads of agreements, it's not going to trigger the tax point. Because if you want to trigger your tax point, then you could. Yeah. And that's interesting when you say if you want to trigger the tax point, then you could. So maybe talk us through a little bit. What what would be a reason for that? And and what are some of the methods that you can you can go about to achieve that? Well, it's I suppose if somebody wanted to trigger those sale in a particular tax year. Uh, maybe they wanted to bring forward a sale. Maybe there's there's various planning reasons why you might want to do it for individuals or entities that are involved in the business. So in which case, then you would make sure that you enter into a binding contract, whether a binding contract for sale or your heads of agreements is so strong that it is binding. Um, so it, we, we, we don't normally see people rushing into trying to trigger the tax point. Most people I speak to are trying to delay it <laughs> for as far as possible. And even where they have got some of the CGT concessions and have a little bit of a liability, we still do the rollover so you can have an extra two years where you don't have to pay your tax. Because let's face it, all of us want to pay our tax at the last possible moment. You know, it's the hardest thing that we do. So um, most people are trying to defer their tax point rather than bring it forward. But it's just when you see people falling into a trap that they were completely unaware of, and then it suddenly becomes outside of their control. Yeah. Or by the time we get to it as advisors, the damage is already done. And it's quite hard to unravel from that. Yeah. Because you've yeah. got to almost start again and walk away from the sale and walk back into the sale. And you know, if as this person selling your business, you've already mentally spent loads of that money, then you're not going to walk away. You'll go, well, okay, I don't get my concessions. I will live with that. I'm still getting more than I otherwise thought I would get. And it's it's amazing this sort of rationalization that starts to go on. <laughs> you, you, they, they talk themselves back to a position that this is still okay. Yeah, yeah. And look, uh, the basis of what you're talking about here, that we haven't I guess, pointed out, and I really want to point out, is this importance of tax planning and the timing um, around all of this sale environment? And we've talked numerous times before, Paula, about the importance of tax planning, the importance of walking into a transaction, understanding, um, you you know, what your options are and what, what what the outcome will be from a tax perspective based on different options that you might choose. But but timing um, is obviously another critical component of this planning. And I guess the answer is once again, don't walk into a deal without having had those proper discussions 
from a tax perspective, from a legal perspective, and understanding exactly what you're doing at every step of the way. Yeah, don't sign anything. <laughs> sign nothing until you've taken to sign. Because if you haven't signed it, then you're okay. Just, you know, the, the amount of times I've had, oh, I have a quick phone call, I'm sure it's all fine, and they talk me through what's happening. And there's normally a slightly different way we could go or big things that may be missing from what they were looking to do. Yeah. And the, the one I see so much of is um, an individual selling going, well, I know I qualify for the CGT concession, so I've got no tax to pay on my sale. And they go, well, what else are you selling? And, you know, going back to that equipment, you could be selling your equipment, you could be having value in your equipment, and actually you will have a gain on your equipment and that gain will be taxable. But because they've been told you've had your business 15 years, your whole gain is disregarded. Nobody's taken them through the process of, well, if you're selling the business itself, you've got a breakdown of all these other things because you've got your stock. Your stock could be sold at market value. There's your mm. trading profit. Your equipment goes across at value. There's accessible income. Mm. And your CGT concessions, your capital gains tax concessions won't help you with those kind of profits. So that's where the deal structuring comes in as well, knowing then whether you're selling your shares or your assets or whether, you know, what's available, what does the purchaser want to buy? Yeah. Um, and one one other thing that I just wanted to add before we leave um, that I've written a little note for myself of as we've been talking is options as well because I, I, I think, um, and, you know, this perhaps is getting a little bit too technical, but options are a way of achieving um, a future right for something to occur, whether or not it's your right to force some sort of sale in the future or, or someone else's right to um, to buy or your right to buy, whatever. Um, but, of course, when we're thinking about options in a business sale and purchase environment, we really need to be thinking about taxing dates as well, uh, I guess. So if, if you've got options, typically your taxing date for the sale of the business will be when the business passes under the option. But there may be option fees that are up front that need to come into the assessable income in that particular year. And remember, if you're granting an option to someone, well, that's not going to get you any concessions because you're not disposing of part of a business. And it's also you're creating a new right. So you haven't held it for 12 months. So you won't get your 50% discount. So, you know, it's just considering how those option fees are going to be taxed. And also we see the use of cross options, you know, the call and put options, which, you know, in my mind, they achieve the same kind of thing as a binding contract for sale, but they're not a binding contract of sale. Mm. Because if I agree to sell my business to you and you agree to buy my business, well, either of us could force it. So it could be outside our control, but then neither of us, both of us could do nothing. And if mm. we do nothing, it never actually happens. Yeah. So cross options can be quite good. Um, if you know you definitely want to sell your business and you're happy to sell it at a later date for the price that's agreed now. And, and the other way that um, quite often we see the discussion occur in relation to options, um, whether it's a whole business sale, whether it's shares, you, you know, in terms of a certain proportion of shares being sold initially with this, you, you know, an option for the, the final parcels of shares for a later date, 
also property. So property can be um, one of those things. And I, I, I don't want to dwell too much on this. And perhaps we need to come back and talk all about tax on options at some point, Paula. But That's just a good one. Yeah, <laughs> just as a quick, you know, quick overview or sort of, um, you know, insight into what we might talk about there. Um, I, I think you just have to be really important um, in considering if you're using options as a way to um, perhaps achieve the ability of a property sale but post-dated because of some future better tax environment um, that may relate to retirement age, for example. Um, I, I think, you, you know, there's many sort of tax, um, you know, traps for the unwary here, Paula. There's tax traps left, right and central. <laughs> you know, even in relation to uh, land tax, duty, there's all kinds of things that can come up on that. And there's some recent changes announced in relation to duty and how that would impact where options are in place. So you could end up triggering a duty point, paying someone paying duty and never actually getting their hands on the property. Yeah. So there's those kind of things. And then GST on property, that's a whole other session. And that's just a constant thing which comes up over and over again on the sale of property. Um, and I know we digress slightly, but there just assuming that the sale of a property is a supply is a going concern, it's not always, and the ramifications of that can be quite big as well. Well, I feel like we have so many things to come back and talk about again, Paula, on another episode. Who would have thought tax could be so exciting? <laughs> Thank you. It's very exciting. <laughs> Paula knew, Paula knew. <laughs> well, look, Paula, thank you so much for coming along. So good today to talk about some of those um, issues that, you know, quite often just are not in the minds of um, our buyers and sellers in relation to the risk of entering into heads of agreement that are too detailed. Exactly. And some bonus tips in relation to options and other tax things to be aware of. <laughs> and it's remembering sometimes less is more. <laughs> less is more. What a great way to end it. Paula, thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Um, look, if our, we have any listeners out there who are preparing themselves for a sale of their business and want to get some expert advice on tax and any of the areas that we're talking about today or just general preparations um, and understanding tax in the sale of their business. How did they get in contact with you, Paula? Uh, Joanna, they're more than welcome to phone me. The full details are in the show notes or they can send me an email at ptalonatprosperity.com.au. Brilliant. Okay, wonderful. You will find all of this in the show notes. So if you want to contact Paula, just head over to our show notes and you'll be able to get in contact with her there. Paula, thank you so much for coming back onto the show. Thank you, Joanna. Well, that's it for this episode of Talking Law. If you'd like to find out more information about this topic, then head over to our website at www.aspectlegal.com.au to book a free 15-minute discussion with our legal eagles. Of course, you could also just click the link in your show notes because that will take you right there to that booking form as well. Well, that's it. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did, please consider perhaps subscribing to Talking Law on iTunes or your favorite podcast player to get notifications straight to your phone whenever a new episode is out. 
We'd also love to hear your feedback. So please leave us a review and rating if you're already one of our subscribers, or even if you're listening to this podcast for the very first time. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and Talking Law, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. team at Aspect Legal specialises in providing trademark registrations and general advice on brand protection and commercialisation for companies and individuals based anywhere in the world. So if you work in creating brands or logos for businesses, or if indeed you're a business needing assistance in protecting your brand, we offer a free 15-minute consultation with one of our lawyers to discuss how we can help you or your client. We also provide free trademark packs if you want to get a bit of an understanding of the process and the timelines. And of course, we do more than just trademark registrations. We work with our clients on a range of issues to assist them in making their trademarks work for them. So if you want to find out more, pop us an email at trademarks at aspectlegal.com.au or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au to book in a free consultation with one of our specialist lawyers. Thanks for listening to Talking Law. Tune in next time for more smart legal tips and tricks to keep you clear of those legal landmines. If you want to get a download of today's show notes, head over to talkinglaw.com.au. Information in this podcast is general in nature, not legal advice. If you want advice for your business, visit talkinglaw.com.au. Thank you.